Empowering Independence podcast is a conversation about the RIA space hosted by Austin Philbin with friends and guests that include individuals spanning the entire spectrum of wealth management. A high energy, insightful creation. This show aims to demystify many of the myths of financial services and provide insights fresh ideas, and a true look into what it takes to be a successful wealth management entrepreneur. Austin will ask the questions that need to be answered by any firm looking to drive scale, efficiency, and enterprise value. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Powering Independence podcast. Today, I join you in almost historic conditions with market volatility close to an all-time high, and with many people feeling fear, anxiety, and trepidation. And today's episode is providing financial advice in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak and market volatility. I thought it would be prudent to have a conversation with one of our top advisors around how he's guiding his clients in these trying times. I'm joined by a good friend, Matt Salenza, who is the founder and managing partner of Boulevard Family Wealth. Matt Salenza, how you doing? I'm doing great, Austin. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing well as as possible in these uh, somewhat volatile times. I thought if it would be okay, I might set the stage for our for our discussion. And what I like to do is just throw out a few snippets and then you know have you react to it. Title of the front page article on the Wall Street Journal today is Wild Rush for Cash Rattles the Markets. Uh, As with most things or or with a lot of things in American society today, we've got the rise of the coronavirus influencers. I think if you looked on uh, Twitter, most uh, tweets would start, not an epidemiologist, but, and then some uh, random fact pattern that may or may not be true. We've got in the markets, S&P down 26, NASDAQ down 22, Dow down 30, Russell down 40. And then finally, we've got you know, a tremendous amount of small, medium, it doesn't matter the size, businesses that are either ill-prepared to handle something like this or even in the best preparation uh, could not have done the things that necessary to kind of combat such a a global impact as the coronavirus has had. So, with all that said, I mean this is a crazy time. We've had some historic movements over the past couple of weeks. You know, tell me what you're talking about. Uh, how are you addressing client concerns, and and what's been your philosophy as we've been kind of trying to stave off some of this hysteria? Well, that's a lot, um, but I'll do my best to try to respond uh, <laughs> to everything that you've brought up. Um, first of all, a lot of the headline news and a lot of kind of just the reactions in the marketplace, uh, colleagues that I'm speaking with and uh, clients and, and others, is very uh, reactive, uh, when in fact, if they were proactive, um, it may have been a different tone, and that's kind of what we're experiencing over here at Boulevard is that we remained proactive not only uh, in the midst of a crisis like this, but for uh, many years leading up to. Um, not that we have known that something like this was going to happen, uh, but uh, being proactive and, and managing in a certain style would help insulate from uh, any activity like this, and I think that's where we kind of uh, positioned ourselves. So uh, I do feel that we're in a different position than most, and that's because of our style over many years 
uh, not reactive to just this one situation. Cool. And I remember, I mean, you and I have, we've been friends. We've, we've sat, or we are friends. We've sat outside in Beverly Hills at some Italian restaurants and much less trying times. And, and I can remember conversations with you around, you know, your reaction to uh, market corrections or dislocations, like what happened during the financial crisis of 2007, eight and nine. I mean, how do you feel personally as a professional now versus then? And when you talk about the proactive versus reactive approach to things, can you can you give us a little bit more detail as to what it is that you're doing, how you're communicating, um, those types of things? Yeah, well, first of all, I think you can hear the calmness in my voice, so that should oh, tell yeah. you something. Um, but uh, just to kind of go back a little bit, and in 2008, nine, and 2010, um, when the markets were, were acting the way they were during the financial crisis, um, I was a completely different person in a completely different position. Um, I wasn't proactively managing accounts. I was just managing accounts as to the uh, to the current market conditions prior uh, to that. And like anyone else, I was heavily invested into growth uh, areas that I thought would give uh, better returns than anyone else, and that's all my clients wanted. Uh, and when the market started to implode, um, I sat there like a deer in the headlights, and I, I will never forget the feeling I had um, of helplessness. It was almost depressive, and I was watching clients' net worth go straight down. Um, I didn't have any answers as to why. Um, I didn't have any strategies as to what we would do during this time. It was definitely a falling sword. And um, when it was all said and done, I really didn't have any good um, forecast or good strategy as to how we were going to get ourselves back into a good position. And I remember contemplating another business. I remember thinking that my clients would never talk to me again. And when I finally pulled myself up and got out of that dark place, uh, I remember saying to my staff at the time, who many of them are still with me now, uh, that I will do whatever I can never to be in that position again. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew that I was going to figure out a way to avoid this this predicament and this feeling, not only for myself, but for my clients, more importantly. And that's exactly what we did. We definitely looked at investing um, more in a planning uh, environment and less in a return environment. And we like to say to ourselves, we like we want to play both sides of the fence. Uh, we want to make uh, a return that is adequately positioned for the client's plan and their goals, and that can be something as nominal as five or six percent. Um, it could be a little bit higher in a foundation or a, a children's trust account where there's less need for capital. And we will also be uh, all over different sectors and how they're reacting at the time. And just to give you an example. Um, uh, Probably a year ago, when the markets were were moving uh, quickly and upward, uh, we decided that we would start selling some of our equities. And we did that because we knew that we had already far surpassed our expectations for return. And we thought that locking in gains at this point and buying into predictability, mainly fixed income instruments and some private equity, made sense. And our clients reacted very positively to that. They realized that we had a certain... Uh, approach that we were uh, adamant about uh, implementing, and they went with it. And we still were able to make money uh, throughout 2019, um, but we were much better positioned to react to uh, catastrophe like we're going through now. 
And when we first got wind of how markets would react to the coronavirus, I think it's about three and a half weeks ago now or close to four weeks, we decided to shed uh, a majority of the remaining positions of our uh, equities and look closely at some of our other fixed income that we thought would be vulnerable to credit risk. And all that said and done, um, we've done exceptionally well in this downturn. And what that has really given us is the confidence and the trust with our clients to take a deep breath and talk about what we're going to do going forward. So we're not having these conversations with clients about stay in there, the markets will return, um, and we're not worried about them losing so much asset value that we're going to be fired. Um, we're in a much different position this time, and it's, it's a pretty good feeling. Yeah, I love that. I, I can remember, gosh, maybe a decade ago, maybe, yeah, a, probably a, a decade or so ago, sitting at a conference with a, you know, a major financial institution, the CEO stood up in front of, you know, very seasoned wealth management professionals and managers and stated that your clients pay for investment returns, full stop. And I remember yeah. thinking that that was such, um, such an inconsistency with the way in which w- Oftentimes, the the best advisors and and people like you that I've seen interact with their clients have done, which is you're not supposed to look at your your phone every day to understand how much or down your portfolio is. You're supposed to understand how the investments fit into your overall financial picture and help you achieve the goals that you set together with your advisor. And that's easier said than done. What I love best about what you're talking about is the psychology of of somewhat of control over your clients so that you can explain that in a decade of aggressive risk-taking where we have seen incredible returns, that that's not as important as making sure that we're sticking to plan. And when we get to a certain point where we've exceeded all expectations, that's the time to say perhaps there's a way that we can take more chips or some chips off the table and allow you to continue to make your plan without taking excessive risk. How do you do that? How do you control the psychology? Not control is the wrong word, but how do you, how do you appropriately um, ensure that clients understand the importance of sticking to plan versus looking at it on an absolute return basis? Well, first, I, I, I'm a firm believer that um, as a firm, as Boulevard uh, exists, uh, we do not sell, we solve. And that is something that I always tell my clients, in that every situation, every client relationship has a different personality. So before we even talk about investments, we have to sit and really spend a lot of time understanding what it is that you're trying to accomplish. If it's legacy planning, if it's um, you know, short-term cash needs, if it's you know, whatever the case may be, um, we have to really build a plan around what that means. Um, the investments are almost a byproduct of what the plan is dictating. And I think that they, when they, once they buy into that philosophy, that I really don't have to say much because they're already set off on a path to understand that we have a certain goal to accomplish, and that is aside from what the general markets are, are doing and how they're acting. So we, we, we spend a lot of time looking at the actual needs of the client, and then once we come up with a plan that puts us in kind of some parameters, we use the best-in-class investments to keep us within that band. And I think what that does is it really puts you in a position 
to react quickly when you need to if you're going outside the band, either on the downside or on the upside. And that's kind of right. what we have uh, implemented over many years with our clients. And um, so I think that they, they pretty much understand that from day one, that we're not, uh, we, don't, we don't really focus on uh, broad-based returns as much as we do about planning. And, and I know, based on our relationship, a little bit about the way in which you uh, allocate to portfolios. And by no means do I want to get into a, a detailed or myopic discussion around product implementation. But I do know, you know, versus other advisors from time to time that I work with, you do use a wide range of different product types. And you do seem to have a, a counterpoint for when a client or prospective client says something like, you know, I don't believe in insurance. You know, my, my philosophy behind that is not a religion, right? It's a tool right. to help achieve a certain outcome that fits with what you're, you're planning to do. And so I like what you're saying. I'm obviously a big fan of, of the way in which you, you allocate portfolios, but, but how do you, how have you in the past overcome, um, and I think you answered a little bit in your last comments, but just more specifically when someone would, would say, uh, I don't believe in something, but you think it's incredibly important for that something to be a part of their overall allocation. Right. So most of the times when we hear um, kind of, uh, I don't really hear, I don't believe in, but what I do hear a lot of is a resistance towards yep. certain structures or certain yep. uh, investments or asset classes, including insurance, which we believe is a very active asset class. Um, our job is to be transparent and, and, and really educate. And in most cases, especially when we talk about insurance for high net worth folks, um, they have been sold something or they have someone has tried to sell them something. And like I said earlier, we don't sell, we solve. And so when we can show the true value of an of a esoteric asset class or something that they're not used to owning, um, and we can show the, the real benefit of this on an after-tax basis or in a legacy planned uh, account, um, yep. they, they trust that our advice and that our information that we're giving them is accurate, and they see it in a different light. So it's just a matter of how you communicate to a client. You know, we, we're not, um, we don't really believe in urgency. Um, we believe in, in, in you know, having discussions and whiteboarding and speaking to their tax uh, uh, professionals or their attorneys and really coming up collectively with what is best for a client. And uh, I think that's a good way to add value, especially when you're, when you're talking to other advisors, professional advisors in their world. Um, you know, building, building credibility and working together are, are, are key. And so um, we get over that pretty, pretty quickly. Got it. I was listening to a call this morning, and there was a commentary around what's going on today, uh, not just in the, in the financial markets, but globally, you know, with everything that's going on with, with right. the coronavirus. And there was illusion or comparison back to similar to what we were discussing earlier around 2008 or the tech bubble and this individual was stating that those market dislocations or those um, recessions felt very much like an event. You, you could understand logically w without going too deep, specifically with the tech bubble, that you had you know, overpriced securities or an overpriced industry that popped. The bubble popped and people lost a lot of money. And right. the housing crisis was a little bit different because there were derivatives involved. And I can remember looking at a chart of all the countries that owned 
some sort of synthetic that had to do with the housing crisis. So that had a couple of layers deep, but it was still an event that you could point to and say the, the root cause is people owning homes that they shouldn't, people packaging mortgages and selling it, and then all that stuff falling apart and blowing up, basically. But this, this feels more like a condition, like something that has the potential to be a little longer in tenor, something with a little bit more uncertainty that has a lot of downstream effects just in terms of, of basic living. I mean, people are punching each other for toilet paper. So how have you been thinking about um, just the time period around uh, addressing people's questions or concerns? You're taking a proactive measure now. How are you planning on keeping that communication going, and how long do you see this potentially playing out? Yeah, well, first of all, um, I don't want to pat myself on the back and um, not be sympathetic to everybody else's uh, plight at this moment. Uh, There's people suffering physically, uh, there's people suffering financially, and there's people suffering mentally, which I probably put myself in that same category. Um, You know, we all worry about our family and our kids, and uh, there's other advisors out there who have really uh, not taken the right proactive measures, and their businesses are at jeopardy. So I I do uh, have that in mind. Um, That being said, after living through two or three of these um, market-type events. Uh, obviously, this one is much different. Um, it's much more systemic than anything that we've experienced. And um, with that, I feel that it's going to be a little bit longer. Um, and I do view that as more advantageous to the investor, um, kind of isolating that component of it, and that we'll have time to really see and understand and feel uh, when we have stabilization a little bit quicker than it would be when uh, perhaps the banks were overstimulated and we were pretty certain that we were, things were going to shoot right up, which they did. Um, I feel that this will be an elongated um, uh, uh, GDP issue, which will most likely cause a recession. Uh, I don't see how we can sidestep that because we're already seeing uh, large restaurant chains and we're seeing the airlines, and we're seeing even banks now. I just saw on TV half an hour ago or so are suspending dividends and buybacks, and that wreaks havoc on things like uh, investing in in, uh, stocks that pay high dividends because their prices are so low. So I think that everybody just needs to take a deep breath. They need to make sure that they have um, stopped any of the bleeding. They need to make sure that they are immune from any further downside, because it's never too late to protect yourself with what you have. And um, don't overreact going into this market. There's a whole host of opportunity. Um, I am confident, however, that as bad as things will be um, in the next short run and, say, mid-run, this country is very resilient, and people will have to start going back out to restaurants and movie theaters and getting on airplanes. So there will be a rebuilding phase, um, and we will be able to seek for good return Uh, in the right places as that comes. So what we're telling clients is uh, on a daily basis, um, we're following uh, all kinds of uh, indicators, from interest rate indicators to all sorts of different yield curves um, uh, to sentiment, which is a very interesting topic in and of itself because sentiment used to be what people thought of the markets. Um, And like you said, they're out there beating each other up for toilet paper now, so I think we're far beyond just that market sentiment. And we really need to kind of just let this process move forward. Um, I always said, uh, I've been talking to people, and I said to someone the other night, if we had 350 million tests and every man, woman, and child in this country was tested today, uh, this thing can be over in a week 
because we would know exactly who had this virus. We would be able to quarantine that group of people until they were uh, helped and, and, and uh, became healthy again, and we would stop the spread. That's not the issue. So we need to see these numbers um, uh, globally uh, get to the realistic number that it should be. And I don't think we're anywhere close to that. So uh, patience. You have to have patience. You have to concentrate more on keeping yourself and your family healthy and trust in folks like me uh, to be watching the screens and uh, develop, uh, delivering information as needed. But there's no rush uh, to repositioning at this point. I love that last sentiment, which, you know, <clears throat> all of us, particularly pe people that are financial service professionals in wealth management, you know, volatility and times of stress can have the the effect to um, not allow us to distance ourselves from that because we're so involved in the matrix, for lack of a better term. We're so involved in the game, and it's it's critically important because it's our profession. But at the end of the day, what's most important is the the health of ourselves, of our family, of our friends, and you know, for for listeners that are not in you know wealth management, I think the key that that Matt that you just said is incredibly important. I mean, it, it's your job to help ensure that people remain on their plan. And yes, the financial markets and yes, the economy has the ability to to produce stress and is producing stress for many many people. But patience is key. Patience That's is right. key. This That's is right. not a systemic indication that the world as we know it is falling apart. We are an incredibly resilient country and things will turn around. It's not a question of if, it's when. And leave the guiding of the financial, uh, the, the, the portfolios and your financial plan to the professionals. That's key in times of stress. It sure is, Austin. And I got to tell you that I'm, I'm not, I, I can't stress this enough to, um, to clients and to advisors is that you have to have trust in the person that is managing your money. This isn't yep. just a race to see who can perform better than the next person. Because in times like this, what comes out of my mouth can make or break someone's future. It can definitely ruin their day if it's, if it's not accurate, and it can definitely change the course of where they want to go with their goals, uh, their financial goals. There's, there's people that are planning for college. There's people that are planning uh, for, for bequests that they've committed to. And so uh, being transparent and being genuine is, is key to our profession. And I know it's easy to do when markets are going straight up, but when they're going down like this, it's way more important. Of course. And you know as well as I do. I mean, we're, we're talking about the, the positive steps that you took in order to keep your clients on their plan and the, the tools that you utilize to protect against the downside, which is incredibly important. But you know as well as I know our industry, five years from now, stamp it, put a, an exclamation mark on today, there are going to be firms that are going to suggest that in this particular market condition, they performed extraordinarily well and then if you look at the next four years of performance, it's going to be somewhat lagging, and they're going to hang their hat on their ability to foresee one temporal event. Maybe it's luck, maybe it's not. Right. But I think it's important for, for people that are listening to understand that these are incredibly challenging times, and these are the times in which you need, to use your term again, trust the people that are managing your money, and these are not the times to do something irrational and go out and try to somehow... Uh, 
hit home runs in this market environment. I mean, I think you would admit it's just too volatile for someone right. to tell you with 100% certainty they know how to make you money right now. Would you agree? Well, I agree 100%. And, you know, interestingly enough, I've been speaking to colleagues uh, across the, the industry uh, uh, pretty regularly over the last you know couple of weeks. And one thing uh, that I would hear is that, uh, especially with the people who are doing well, uh, was that, oh, my God, Corona came out and we sold everything. Okay, I don't. I think that was good because you didn't really lose your clients a lot of money. But we didn't react like that overnight. This was a philosophy that we put in place over a, a decade of time, and through the whole bull market is where you really have to look at how we've performed and where we took advantage of some of the gains and uh, certain accounts that we knew we had goals that we met or surpassed. We were able to dial back some of the risk, and that measure of risk is more important than the return. Once these accounts start making more money than you expected, your level of risk is going up at that point. So we were really diligent to kind of stay with our philosophy through the whole time, and I think that was more impressive than the luck of an advisor or a client to say, I'm getting out of the market today and just happen to be timing it. Those, those cases are few and far between. The right advisors are the ones who implemented strategies no matter what the market was doing, and they stayed in their lane uh, and without drifting. It put us in a position to be calm and collective now and then be prepared for the next move. Right. It's strategic versus gambling. Right? I mean, because what you, what you just described is, is gambling. Even if, That's to your right. point, you're able to say this particular situation, the, the pandemic or the potentiality of a pandemic is going to wreak havoc across all markets, fixed income right. and equity, and therefore, we're going to sell out of everything and move to cash. Even if you made that call three weeks ago, you're still gambling. There's no way that you could have understood the extent of it. So to your point, I mean, pat on the back for understanding what could happen. But I just think that that type of behavior, is it prolonged, right? A broken clock is right twice a day. Could That's you correct. make that call again? Are you going to be able to make the call when the market turns? and it's on its way up. I, I just think it's a risky, to your point, if it's outside of what the normal course of action has been over time, that that's speculation. It's gambling. I mean, that's the definition of it. I couldn't agree more. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit um, because part of this, I've got a lot of wealth management professionals that are listening, and I think many people could benefit from from your answer to this question, which is, you know, what type of advice would you give to advisors, you know, that are relatively new to wealth management about how to navigate these markets and how to handle client concerns, especially, you know, as we talked about earlier, you know, looking back upon your career, you know, a decade or so ago versus uh, today, what advice would you give to them? Well, I think the best advice that I would give to them, and um, I take this advice myself as well, uh, is that you have to... Uh, overload yourself with accurate information. You have to make sure that you know what you, what you are talking about during these times. Um, don't just take anything you hear or from a blog or from somewhere else and, and take that as, as accurate. You have to make sure that you reach out to uh, your research uh, contacts. You have to make sure you speak to people in academia. You have to make sure you speak to people in the business world. You have to get a real feel for what's going on. Then you have to back, back that up with the data. And we're very lucky in these times to have access to enormous amounts of, of data. And once you can 
collectively take all this information. That's one thing that we do here. We speak to many people from the professionals at Dynasty to um, all of our asset managers and their portfolio people and their research folks, and we reach out to some economists that we have great relationships with, as well as talking to our clients who, quite frankly, have the hand on the pulse for uh, their own particular businesses, uh, if it's private equity or if it's real estate. And once we gather all this information, and this is not only now, this is always, um, we're, we're more able to make a kind of a comprehensive uh, forecast of where we think the markets are going to go in the short term and over the long term. So we don't just kind of go with a gut feeling or with what one person is saying on, on CNBC uh, at any point in time. Uh, we take uh, information from a, a, a wide variety of sources and we look for some consistencies. And when we see where that consensus is going, we can add our own kind of twist to it where it makes sense for our client, and it gives us a much better narrative to talk to clients about. Uh, the last thing you want to do is say something that's not accurate, and then they pick up the paper or they read the Barron's or they look at uh, CNBC, and it contradicts what you're saying. Uh, you have to be very careful with how you uh, um, carry yourself uh, when you're talking to somebody about the markets and, and the uh, the economics that go with it. So uh, arm yourself with information. Yeah, what I'm, what I'm about to say may or may not be controversial, but it is what it is. I think that, you know, being the markets and being a financial advisor in the relative recent past, you know, ha has been relatively easy. We, we've had tremendous growth and that's been great. And so you haven't really had to deal with this type of volatility. There've been little blips from, from point to point, but overall the past 10 years have been pretty good in terms of market returns and being a financial advisor, something that, you know, depending upon your client base may or may not be easier than times past. I, I right. then combine that with and again, this is where the controversy comes into play. What you just described about the advice that you would give to someone is a process that has been proven through experience. So those individual steps that you outlined, those are things that you have built based on years and years of working in wealth management. And the challenge that I have from time to time is that you've got a whole it's not a it's not a google generation but the the availability of information is so much greater than when you started your career in financial services and so much greater right. than when i started my career in financial services and that can be across any sector the availability information is so great that i think from time to time people tend to downplay the importance of experience but it is in choppy waters that having experience as a captain is really, really important. I, I, what, how do you feel about experience, um, particularly in these types of scenarios? Well, I'm going to be 53 in, in, in April, and um, very few you look times. Great though, by I, the way, you don't you look, look 53 thank you, thank at all. You. <laughs> very, very <laughs> few times uh, I can sit back and say that. Uh, uh, I'm happy uh, not being 23, but this is one of the times I'm very happy being 53 uh, because I do have a certain knowledge of um, what it's like to go through these times. And every time something like this happens, I kind of build on that, um, not only from an information standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint, because that's a huge factor in our business that people tend to overlook is that I can sit here and give people facts all day. I can be transparent about their business, but you also have to be mindful of what they're thinking and what they're feeling. 
And right. so you learn how to handle things emotionally as well. And, um, you know, I'd love to have been able to have the same kind of um, insight when I was 25 in this business. But unfortunately, that does come with more experience. So uh, if someone's younger in this business and um, uh, they're coming out of this uh uh, this predicament in the next, you know, however long it takes, months or years, um, they will be a little stronger and they will be looked at a little bit uh, more disciplined afterwards. But uh, uh, in my particular case, um, every time I have to go through incidents, and sometimes these incidents aren't it's even... It's like callousing, right? You're, I mean, it's basically a process of callousing. If you want to call it that, yes. <laughs> layering. I like the word layering, layering. a little bit more. That's, that's the more gentle term, layering. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, and, and it's easier to talk to someone um, when they know you have been there, especially when you've been there with them. That's an amazing, amazing position to be in because, you know, I had a, I called a client the other day who happens to be um, the, the former wife of another client, and I handle – both of them. So I'm handling the exes, uh, which is very unique in this business. And she um, doesn't have the same interest or the same desire uh, for money as others. So when I call her to tell her about anything good or bad, she has a very consistent uh, uh, attitude towards it. She doesn't really fault me for uh, things that go uh, wrong uh, macroeconomically, or does she give me the accolades for things going up. Um, but she does love our service, and she does, lo- does love the things we do. And when I called her the other day, um, she said something very unique to me, and it kind of made my day. And probably one of the reasons why you and I started talking is that she said to me, you know, over a 10-year period, for us to be sitting here and having this conversation in such a dire time gives me enormous respect for what you do and confidence about our relationship. And nothing really affects me that much in this business any longer, but that really did. I hung the phone up and I said, oh my God, you know, I was able to really position myself as a trusted advisor and someone who was almost part of the family. And that's all we should really be concentrating on as advisors nowadays is is total trust and confidence from the people we do business with. I mean, we go into restaurants nowadays and what's the first thing we look at? That, that I don't know if it's like this in, in the East Coast, but we have these uh, grades in California. Oh, yeah. And if there was a C on the door, you would never go in. Right. But if there was an A, you'd have the confidence of going in. Uh, unfortunately, we have to build that credibility with our clients. And um, to be able to get yourself to that point, I think every advisor needs to understand that. Uh, you will be in a much better position in good times and in bad. Yeah, not to deviate too far from the overall theme of what we're talking about, but what you just brought up made me think about a couple things. I mean, this is a profession that is in dire need of of individuals to come into. You know, I think depending upon the study, you're looking at the average age of a financial advisor a little bit north of, of your current age. And, you know, it just being able to to bring in new talent to be able to go through some of these experiences and learn from them is going to be incredibly important because again, and and this is not a knock and I, and I don't have any, uh, evidence of such. So, um, you know, I can't say this with absolute truth, but I, I think if you were an individual advisor and you're using some of the automated platforms in today's volatility, I'm not sure that you would have the same type of confidence as an individual like you just described who has gone through a decade or more of all different types of market types with one individual. I don't think you'd have that same confidence. I don't know what you would do. 
And the second question that I would have for that type of individual is, in these trying times, in this this level of volatility, is your app actually working the way that it's supposed to work right. for you? Are you being able to to transact in the way that you want? Are you able to get your money out? I just I'm concerned about that. So I, I think it really speaks volumes to you know the future of our industry, making sure that people understand how important of a job it is. And it's a virtually impossible one, right? Because you're trying to take something, aka the market, that is impossible to control, that's really difficult to predict the outcome. And even if you could, then you sprinkle in something like this, a global pandemic, you can't control that. But at the end of the day, that's what you're paid to do, right? You're paid to help people feel safe, uh, have someone they trust, and be able to navigate these trying times and, and stay on course with the financial plan that they laid out with you. I mean, so kudos to you. That's really, really hard to do. Yeah. And just, just as a side note, you know, I have two uh, uh, business development professionals, and uh, they're, they're a couple decades younger than I am, but they're incredibly uh, well-educated and well-positioned to do great things in this business. And uh, when I brought them in, um, uh, I think it was important to, for them to understand that I wasn't here to judge them on assets or revenue. I was here to judge them on their ability to gain our kind of philosophy so they can then go out there and start uh, attracting business that was likened to what I'm already doing. I wasn't looking just for money or just for clients. There's a certain personality and a certain reason why we're building this particular business here. And, you know, a year, year and a half later, we're starting to bear the fruits of that. And I sit back and I kind of understand that if, even if I'm not in that room, what they're what they're talking to these prospects about is exactly what I would be talking about. And I thought that was very important to have that consistency across any business line. So um, you're right. I mean, maybe they haven't lived through this before, um, but they hear me talk about things on a daily basis. And so if you're young in this business, you do want to kind of be with a a group or a team or a professional that kind of has that experience that you can absorb and and, and, uh, reflect. Great. Last question for you. Uh, you know, somewhat of a softball, but I'm really interested in in hearing your thoughts. What's been the most important lesson that that you've taken out of uh, the past few weeks that you can add as as an additional layer uh, versus my callus, an additional layer to uh, your suit of armor? Well, there's a couple of things. I think the most important um, uh, lesson to be learned, and I've learned it time time and time again, but it keeps layering, is that anything can happen at any time. And do not be proactive. Do not be reactive. Be proactive. And you know you really have to stick to your your philosophy and your strategies, whatever those may be. And hopefully, when you're developing a plan and a strategy as a asset manager or a manager of of assets, uh, I think it's better worded, is that you have to always ask yourself what can be the worst case scenario. And the best case scenario is easy to deal with, but the worst case scenario is much harder. And you have to always have contingencies in place. So it's much more than just a simple allocation model that'll work over a 30-year period when the, when the chart goes from the bottom left-hand corner to the top right-hand corner. You have to talk to yourself about contingency plans in the interim. And that would be you know, a proper way to manage assets. Um, and if you do that, you should be somewhat insulated. Um, I know many of us have learned you know, modern portfolio theory and uh, the one segment that has always stuck with me is capture ratio. And I believe that in down markets, if you perform better than uh, your peers and better than the indices, that's what you're getting paid for. 
and they would be the same on the upside. So just kind of really being prepared for all sorts of different movements in the market, um, you'll be okay. And Great. so will your clients, more importantly. Yeah. Matt, I want to thank you. And also, you. There, there's, uh, one other, there's one other sorry. area that I think it's worth kind of just discussing to wrap this up, and that, yeah. you know, we have these, this, this philosophy that it's cash, stocks, bonds, and private equity. But there are also major indicators in this market that other people, institutions, incredibly wealthy, high net worth families use uh, in order to position themselves. And when you see dislocations and things like the interest rate market now, you have to try to understand how that could benefit you. And most people overlook that. They look purely at uh, yields out of a fixed income instrument and think that uh, that's that's their um, their forecast of where things are going. But there's huge dislocations in this market, and uh, uh, highly intelligent, sophisticated investors and their advisors take advantage of that daily. Um, and I think there's going to be opportunities going forward from things like structured product because of the volatility and the interest rate dislocation, yeah. uh, things like life insurance. Um, that is uh, completely uh, in a different uh, uh, position now than it's been in most people's careers, uh, that you can really be talking to your clients about ideas that they don't hear normally from their uh, either advisors or their, even their tax professionals. So really go out there and try to understand uh, these dislocations in the market and how that can benefit uh, your client base because uh, it will really set you aside. Great. I really appreciate you uh, taking time uh, today in, uh, in these volatile market conditions, yep. and uh, thanks for the partnership, Matt. I appreciate it, and uh, please stay safe and look forward to seeing you soon. Cool. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for carving out an hour of time in the middle of what are historic times. And we talked a lot about how to navigate the financial markets, but I wanted to take a minute just to remember what's actually really, really important, which is taking care of yourself, your friends, and your family's health. The other parts of our life, the financial aspects in some way, shape, or form will get figured out. What's most important during this time is to take care of yourselves. We look forward to continuing this podcast and please stay tuned for our next episode.